0: Hi, I'm Elaine. Welcome to my podcast channel. Uh, we are going to start with uh, some basic math questions. So first, I'm just going to ask um, you to self-introduce yourself. Um, so uh, like which branch of math do you uh, specialize in? Which university and role are you in? And like describe your math field and your role and and why are you interested in your branch of math?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, my, my name is Matthias. Matthias Deltzer. So I'm an applied mathematician. I'm at mm-hmm. Cambridge University, and within Cambridge University, I'm in one particular college called Saint Saint John's College. Yeah. Um, now, um, I, my, my main interest—I would consider myself as a very broad mathematician. So you know, I have a lot of interest in in, in, in different areas of mathematics. But so probably the, the main areas I should mention are uh, algebra on the one hand side um i did a lot of work also in quantum field theory so in theoretical Mm -hmm. physics which here in cambridge is very strong within mathematics so these are mathematical structures within particle physics that, that we study and a lot of the So very famous quantum field theory and quantum mechanics even that was developed in the last hundred years, of course, came from Cambridge, came from the Applied Maths Department here. Um, I've also worked in financial mathematics and, uh, you know, worked in random walk models and, you know, financial modeling. And that's, you know, a a really broad spectrum of, of mathematics. And I think um, and perhaps later we can talk about this a bit, bit more, but if, if as a mathematician you have a very solid foundation in what I consider as the two big pillars of, of mathematics, that's sort of linear algebra on the one hand side and analysis on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have sort of a very solid foundation of those two fields, you can, you know, tr- work in almost any area in mathematics and you will, you know, almost any area of mathematics will be accessible to you. So right,
0: totally, I totally agree. Like um, mathematical ideas, they're really interconnected. Mm-hmm. And if you have very strong basics, especially, yeah. you yeah. will like develop, especially as a foundation that you build up throughout time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that undergraduate studies such as real analysis and linear algebra, they're, bas- they're I've heard it's really important mm-hmm. to master. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now you also asked about my roles within the university. so obviously, you know i, I you know I'm a mathematician, I teach mathematics <laughs> I, I you know examine mathematics, I you know create mathematics and research,, uh, but I'm also very heavily involved in student support. So for the college, mm-hmm. you know, I, I you know i I teach students individually, that's what we do in Cambridge, and we teach in very small groups and meet our students, I you know direct their studies. so I'm very heavily involved in you know, really meeting students individually and running also a number of scholarship programs and and exchange programs and so on. Some of these are research exchange programs. So some of my mm-hmm. students go sort of overseas, for example, to Caltech and National mm-hmm. University in Singapore and so on, and do research projects there. And I'm also responsible to run, you know, these sorts of programs.
0: Oh, wow, that is really, really impressive. I'm also really curious, like, what is your typical day as a um, Professor, like,
1: oh, is there anything like a typical day? Um, I mean, there, uh, you know, I have as, as a sort of various sort of roles, and uh, you know, these roles, you know, they they come and go at at various mm-hmm. stages in the year and and different days. So there is. There isn't So the typical day depends, of course, where you are in the academic cycle. And I mean, today is a Saturday and I was in the college actually teaching uh, quite a few of my students. I had one online lecture earlier in, in, in the day um, and then later on, I taught uh, three groups of my students in my own room in college. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah,
0: that's yeah. really interesting, for sure um so let's move on to our next question um so what are some examples of um of various sub levels like studies as in like because we have so many um math subjects how would you subdivide
1: all our
0: like the holistic
1: field like so big yeah so i mean obviously it's of the two most important sub levels i have already mentioned and this is a, right. a strong right. believer you know linear algebra you know you, you know the study of vector spaces mm-hmm. linear maps linear systems and those are of course everywhere and they're naturally everywhere a lot of things are linear but even if we have models that are not linear, uh, nonlinear models are sometimes very difficult to solve. And you see them always in the sciences and in lots of applications all the time. But what if we can't solve the nonlinear problem, you of course linearize it. We look at sort of the tangent space, the linear yeah. space, and yes. um, and I remember when I was a student, I didn't like this at all. I yeah. I, I thought, but this is not real, that makes, you know, they, they, it's, it's wrong to do that, but actually, mm-hmm. you know, really thinking about working with this concept, um, you know, it's actually a very good thing to do, because you know that locally, you know, almost every space will look linear, and you can treat it like a linear space, Right, linear right. Space. Um, you don't always know what local means, I mean, sometimes local could be far, <laughs> By yeah. far, but sometimes yeah. it means it very very environment only. So, you know, <laughs> of course, you need to know what local means. But right. uh, locally, you know, almost anything looks linear. So that's why, of course, linear oh. algebra is such an important, you know, sub level. The other one, of course, analysis, study of limits, and, mm-hmm. and you know, very different concepts, of course. And, yeah. you know, that's why, of course, you know, some mathematicians, they love algebra more others love perhaps analysis more just because yeah, i was
0: wondering like why you even chose like I mean applied mathematics is like astoundingly um excellent and really hard I guess um like why did you choose there's pure mathematics and applied mathematics um why did you choose applied over pure or others
1: um, so so the the i you know the borderline between applied and pure is anyway quite artificial and yeah yeah I you know uh, you know, an applied mathematician also has a very strong understanding of algebra and analysis, and you know the core subjects. Um, perhaps what differs between what what differs between applied and pure mathematicians is more the approach. When you know, as an applied mathematician, very often I want to get so familiar with the problem. I would perhaps run computer simulations to sort of understand the problem. Ultimately, I also want to prove it just like a pure mathematician and using a rigorous proof. So, and I think here we are the same applied and pure mathematicians. You know, my publications would also use, you know, rigorous, you know, proofing techniques to, you know, to, to prove your result, but perhaps the approach to get close to the result is, is different. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I'm interested in using sort of my mathematics in problems that are probably derived out of either physics or the sciences or economics mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, that's where I take my problems from and that probably makes it an you know, applied mathematics area um, whilst perhaps a pure mathematician uh, takes his or her problems you know intrinsically somehow out of you know the the, the pure mathematics context mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so again the approach is perhaps different but I think the result you know, both sides are, you know, very rigorous. So Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, for sure. Mathematician is rigorous. Um, so in, in this sense, I would really say that the, the borderline is not, not, not very very clear. And I, I remember very well when I was at Harvard, I collaborated with people in pure mathematics at MIT. And, you know, mm-hmm. they were you know, very pure mathematicians in algebra. Um, yeah. They were interested in the same problems. and. <laughs> Me, as an applied mathematician, you know, we shared, you know, this interest in of the, the, these problems, looking at these of quant, uh, of these conformal field theories, wanted to understand them. Um, so, you know, the interests are the same and the methods are perhaps slightly different. But in the wow. end, the theorems, you know, we work on are similar, probably the same theorems.
0: I'm really surprised because I thought they're so divided in a way, like how they're just enemies in a way but they actually collaborate.
1: I have some peer mathematicians They are very good friends. We are not enemies. No, we, we do collaborate. But as I said, I think the methods are perhaps slightly different. And the problems are taken from, you know, perhaps I take my problems more from the scientific side.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I've heard another um Someone say that um, mathematicians rarely argue because the reason and logic is really, really clear, as opposed to a lot of scientific fields, they argue a lot. Is that true?
1: Um, Yes, I think I would agree with that. I mean, you know, we have our obviously if we go through our sort of line of reasoning. Um, there might be mistakes in there, so we might argue about you know, you know where, whether there are any mistakes or, or not. But I mean, these are all you know very factual things. So it's not that you know we are arguing about a belief. You know, it's you know we, we you know if we, if we lead our sort of line of arguments, if we lead our proof, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we 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 can only discuss whether you know certain. Implications are are right or wrong, but um, it's not about, you know, that, you know, I believe that and you believe that if that makes any sense.
0: Right. For sure. Like it's math is just uh, right or wrong. It's really, really clear logic.
1: Well, it's not always like that. But if we have, you know, a well defined axiom system and we base it on this axiom system and then, you know, we, we should be able to derive you know, in in logical way, in a logically correct way, we should derive be able to derive our results, and uh, there should be very little space for any arguments.
0: Yeah, which is really good. I mean, as opposed to the scientific fields, too many debates and arguments about things.
1: <laughs> yes, but but that's that's I think that's really the strength of mathematics to basically cut your axiom system down to the minimum that is really. Sort of required to make this work. And um, I yeah. think be the strength of mathematics to really find out what are sort of the basic underlying uh, rules or axioms that make it work. Um, whilst you know you don't you don't have this in the sciences in the same way, just because very often you can't base it on axioms and you base yeah. it on experiments, and uh, experiments are very often You know, there's a lot of space for interpretation so you don't have this this clarity, because you know, sometimes you can't even reproduce experiments. Or you get different different answers if you perform the same experiment, and you know you have these uncertainties which you know shouldn't happen in mathematics.
0: For sure, yeah. Um, So, I mean, connected to this question, looking further away from our near future or distant future, for um, 50 years, what changes in the math field do you um, expect? Like, any big changes or big discoveries? Are there any progress in your research fields?
1: So... I think this is, of course. I mean, in applied mathematics, I would say uh, these developments will, of course, be led by sort of the need where the problems arise. And uh, for example, now I, I mean, when students or whenever I give sort of talks about mathematics at schools, I'm so very often being asked to predict where mathematics will be going. And uh, 50 years is difficult but let's just look at 10 years first and i think what the pandemic has also shown is that biology for example needs a lot more mathematical skills and you know all the modeling behind biology that you know we had to do during the, the pandemic you know it's very heavy mathematics uh you know dynamical systems are very important there uh but then you know a lot of other areas the dna research and so on in mathematics really requires a in in biology requires a lot of mathematics and i see a lot of my students are uh, going into uh biological research programs doing phd in biological mm-hmm. areas and that's already happening now so i think this will be a trend that will be even a lot stronger in in the next next decade say um 50 years from now that's of course quite difficult to predict because you know yeah. where will the needs so you know come up of course what I think what has changed say in the last 20 years is that we have a lot more computing power. And yeah. Look at the computing power that is available. And I think a good example is if you look at artificial intelligence, which is of course everywhere at the moment, you, mm-hmm. know, everybody, you know, wants to go into AI, it's very trendy. And, uh, and of course a lot of work needs to be done. But if you look at the algorithm, so neural networks existed already 30 years ago, say. And at that time, they were not very successful. You know, we knew the algorithms, but we could not use them very well. And that's because we didn't have the computing power at that time. You know, they need a lot of data, they need a lot of computing power. And now 30 years later, you know, we have it. And suddenly these models can be used in various areas of, you know, almost everyday life, you would say. Um, So, you know, mathematics that perhaps already existed, at least partly, or partially 30 years ago is suddenly being rediscovered, um, mm-hmm. just because of having more computing power, and that's of course something I can s- clearly see you know continuing over the next decades, because... which is
0: really scary. So, related to your um uh discussion, our discussion about the um computer programming and mm-hmm. AI artificial intelligence takeover, um, mm-hmm. do you think that? Mathematicians in the near hundred years or whatever in the near future will still be needed. Will we be replaced
1: by robots? <laughs> we, we won't be replaced by by robots. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. all what computers can do, all what these algorithms do, they're you know they they can just follow the rules, but they can cannot make the rules. And you know, I'm a strong believer that. You know if you look at the semantic behind something the understanding the computer can't do this the computer can only do the episodic part of the memory the computer can have big memory and can follow rules the computer can't do the semantics so if you think about hmm. language you have those two parts of, of language you know the semantic oh, yeah. the understanding and of course you know the episodic side where you just repeat things and computers are very good at that and they're probably you know better than we are in remembering things, um, and they can help us there. But of course, in order to sort of—that's uh, what we said—you know—earlier, uh, also had at the very beginning, mathematics is about understanding structures. It's really about the semantics and you know, how these things fit together. Um, hmm. Because humans are more creative. Yeah. Computer algorithms don't do this at all, and I don't yeah. think they—you know—they will be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: kind of scary. I, I thought that maybe like humans aren't won't be even needed in the near future, yeah. but they're they're still really necessary. Actually, yeah, um, yeah. yeah um, and uh, also another question. Um, so related to when you one general advice would you give to modern um, high school students in the UK or in Canada or in the US like high school students in general studying mathematics and they just want to be a theoretical mathematician or they want to go into a field that is related to the math branch?
1: So I think what is extremely important uh, so trying to become a mathematician what is of probably one of the most important parts of this is to be able to discuss mathematics and um, I think schools and, you know, other organizations, they, they, they try to train people so to do mathematics. But for me, actually explaining mathematics, discussing mathematics with others is, is actually a lot more important. You learn most when you discuss your ideas, your understanding with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, that's very often lacking. You know, in the preparation for say mm-hmm. a university degree, um, because what you what we really want is once you're at university that, you know, this this independence. So you know, the, you know, independently thinking about these mathematical structures, developing your own mathematical structure, and that's that's quite you know the the, the transition from sort of school mathematics to you know the, this independence that you can say rather than t- asking your teacher, well, teach me the answer. Mm-hmm. You, you should actually at some stage tell yourself oh i can crack this myself you know these are the definitions i need these are some sort of the structures i need and i can you know the teacher should give you the ability to practice yourself but in the end you know it should be you who works it out and that's that's you know very different um mm-hmm. and i think a big part of this is being able to you know present mathematics discuss it with others so it as part of my teaching I always get, uh, sort of my group of mathematicians in the college really together in a workshop style, thing, already at the very beginning of their mathematics career, in the first year already, and, you know, give them sort of a forum where there's over the 15 of them can really sort of discuss mathematics and present their ideas and learn Mm -hmm. also from others. Um, You know, even for me, even if I'm in a lecture theatre with 250 students, when you present it to others, Mm -hmm. that's when you really realise that, you know, when you sort of logically lay out the arguments in front of others that's when you realize whether you have really understood it and sometimes yeah. you, realize you haven't understood it and um. then you know, you, you do oh, well no, no. on that. Uh, yeah. Have so you
0: actually ever been um, talking about a mathematical concept um, upstage and then you were like, oh, no, I, I don't think I really understand, actually. Can oh, I yeah. It
1: happens that? all the time. Even, even in lectures in front of a lot of people that, that can happen that suddenly you realize actually it's not quite right the way you, you think about it. But it's really that moment. I think if you just sit there and, you know, think it's true in front of a piece of paper, that's a different process if you are in front of other people and you you know communicate with them that's that's actually a very different process if you lay out the arguments then um, so i think you know this is one part that in preparation of a mathematics course is very often missing um mm-hmm. and that's where you know i would recommend that uh, you know people who are really serious who are interested in studying mathematics at university that they really do this and You know, discuss with others in at school or in the social environment people who have also these sorts of interests, and really discuss mathematics and discuss their thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's really important. Like I think a lot of students are hiding their hiding away from um, expressing their ideas because they're really scared that they might get a number wrong. So, or maybe if you just say something wrong, you will you will probably feel stupid or whatever. So I think that it's really important for students to actually just blurt out their thoughts and then express their ideas as well. Right. And also in university, they have a specific um, academic paper writing style. Like suppose that this, we have that, like there's like a format or structure or academically mathematical language. And then in as opposed to high school, we just don't have that kind of stuff. Um, We just have a, oh, this is my calculation, and then nothing is there. But in university, it's really, really formatted.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the transition. Now, uh, I mean, different mathematicians have probably different styles, and uh, we don't all use the same style. I think some people are probably sort of more rigid in the way they express their mathematics than, than others. So sometimes it's okay to use English words, or just to use words in between as well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there are some mathematicians, they wouldn't want to do this at all. So in that, there are different styles, but, but you're right. The, you know, the logical arguments have to be correct. And, uh, and you know, there, is a, there may be variations how you can express them, but the logical arguments have to be correct. While of course, at, at in school mathematics, that's very often not the case, that the logical arguments are used so in, in the correct order. While at university, you know, that's definitely what we want to get right. So if you Mm -hmm. want to prove, you know, a statement A is correct, uh, then, you know, it's not enough to use your statement A implies something that is correct, that proves nothing about statement A. Um, Mm -hmm. So You have to start the other way around, something that is correct that leads to statement A you want to prove. And for, you know, at university, you know, we need to get these sorts of implications and equivalences right. Uh, I don't think at school level, are uh, the mathematics is so rigorous that there's put so much attention to 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 these points? Uh,
0: For sure, yeah, that's why. Because a lot of students who actually excel in high school basic math and then they just suffer in university math and they just give up. And I think that, yeah, I, I know a lot of um, mathematicians or like math students and they just give up when they're in their master's. And I think it's really... Um, yeah, pity. I, I think they should um, continue to persist. So I think persistence is so important. Mm-hmm. And like, why do you think some people even give up? Like, is it because of their limited time, like, or they just find it too hard?
1: Well, it's... I, I'm not sure I would call it give up. I mean, what I see is, of course, university is also there for to give you space for development. And um, obviously, you, you know, you start your university course with sort of certain ideas what you want to do, but then university is there to offer lots of opportunities within your subject, but also you know, education opportunities outside your subject. And I and I think that's very very important that a university course allows you that space of development. Um, so. In, I, I would say among my students, probably maybe thirty percent of the students then develop in slightly different directions than what they had envisaged, and that mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that 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 this is led by dropping out or giving up. it's led by you know having opportunities that develop mm-hmm. their interests in a slightly different way.
0: yeah um,
1: and that's positive. so you know I always oh, see okay. the yeah for sure ra- rather mm-hmm. than so um because school mathematics is is actually so different from university mathematics um it's not quite clear what to expect in school mathematics and obviously uh, in in university mathematics and obviously school mathematics is some indication but it's not you know a hundred percent indication if you if you love school mathematics that you will like university mathematics um and um, you know, given that there's so many opportunities for development at universities, so it can easily happen that people develop in other directions.
0: For sure, yeah. Um, and also a question that uh, there's this huge problem, P equals PNP problem. Have you like it's like a really um, debated big math problem, which is P equals to NP or PNP? Like, what are your thoughts on that problem?
1: So what what is the problem P
0: PNP problem or like it's like a like a really um, debated math idea in this math field.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I know what uh, which problem you're talking about. Oh, it's okay, more. but
0: it's like uh, I was wondering. Um, yeah, like do you have any? Um, what's your favorite math theorem, though? Like the problem that you really are so interested in?
1: Um, If you ask me for my favorite theorem, I would say that's probably Noether's theorem.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and Noether's theorem, so Emmy Nurtur, she was a mathematician in the I think 1900s or 20s and 30s. And the reason why I like this theorem so much is because so it, the, the theorem says that whenever you have a conserved quantity, say in in, in, in a field theory in physics, a conserved yeah. quantity like energy, like momentum, and so on, and uh, then there's an underlying symmetry, and the symmetry oh, is of wow. course you know a, a group operation on your quantum field theory, and she could prove that. Um, And, of course, what what I find so fascinating about it is that it really connects, you know, experiments with something purely algebraic. And that's, I think, rare where you have, you know, very hard, pure mathematics um, Mm -hmm. connected in this direct way. And it goes both ways. So she could prove that you have conserved quantity. And then you have a symmetry, but also the other way around, you have a symmetry of a conserved quantity. So if I go, say, to CERN and perform some experiments there and I find you know, something is conserved, we don't quite know why, but it's conserved, then her theorem tells you that there will have to be uh, a symmetry on the system. Mm-hmm. So there's a symmetry group that you apply to that quantum system that keeps it, so there's a group you apply to a system that keeps it invariant. Um, and I find this, you know, you know, amazing that it connects, you know, you know, real world experiments so directly with a, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, very deep algebraic concept like, you know, out of group theory, It's a theory that doesn't get, get so much credit, and yet it's responsible for in you know, a lot of our very fundamental things, like energy conservation, momentum conservation, angular momentum conservation. Wow. And, you know, a lot of, you know, very deep concepts. We, you know, our understanding of a lot of things around us depend on, you know, relies on exactly this this theory.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing and wonderful. Uh, who's your favorite mathematician? Is there- um, I know you are a really outstanding mathematician. Wow. Is there a person you very admire out there?
1: Favorite mathematicians? Well, there there would would be loads, but if I have to mention one person in my field, it would have to be Dirac. I would say Paul Dirac, who got uh, obviously a Nobel Prize. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, quantum mechanics wouldn't be what what it you know, what, we, what it is and how we would understand it without him. Obviously, there were others who were, intr- who were you know, instrumental in developing quantum mechanics. But I think, so the big achievement of the Iraq is really to, you know, show the algebraic side of, of, of quantum mm-hmm. mechanics. So, you know, obviously you can solve Schrodinger's equation and if you solve Schrodinger's equation of, for the hydrogen atom, you get, you know, all the op- atomic orbitals. You, you basically get the whole of chemistry out of one equation, if you like. Wow! Um, but that's solving, you know, a differential equation, and of course Dirac showed that all this is equivalent to an algebraic problem, and you know combines, you know, the the you know, differential equation approach of of quantum mechanics to so his algebraic approach and. I think that's a big achievement. Obviously, he has you know many other achievements as well, but I think this is a, a massive achievement. So, yeah, I I I would vote for the Iraq then.
0: For sure, yeah. Um, oh, I I I'm pretty sure that you have um, a lot of students, like hundreds or thousands, over your whole um, academic teaching industry. Or you know, um, are are there is there a student that really? Um, who's like really talented, that really captured your attention. And then post postdoc.
1: Well, obviously I had loads of students o- over the years. Um, yeah. And I, I, well, Cambridge gets a lot of very talented students. It would be difficult to point out, you know, just one particular yeah. one. I, I mean, if I look at what my students do, uh, quite a few of them really stay in research and I think the numbers so if you look at say undergraduates that come to Cambridge doing mathematics I don't have the exact figures but so by experience I would say maybe about 20-25% of the students in the end really end up you know, doing research, uh, most of them at universities others perhaps in industrial setup, and that's a very high number say a quarter of our students. I'm sure this is higher than the most of the other top universities. And there's that, a reason for that. Obviously there's a lot of research happening here at other universities probably too. But um, uh, here we know our students extremely well. I only take 15 students a year. So, mm-hmm. and I teach them really sort of individually. I know them very well. And you know oh. having this exposure to so your professors already at this very early stage, uh, that you know you're, you're known by name by your professors already in the first year and you meet them individually and I think this leads uh, to to the result that a lot of our students you know get interest in research already at a much earlier stage and are more passionate about research too so a lot of our students say in research and um, if I look at my students you know some of them are now professors at Stanford others are professors mm-hmm. here at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, another one of my students is a professor at Caltech. So, uh, you know, I had you know, some mm-hmm. of my students, you know, got into a very high level, um, you know, position at top universities. But even if you look at what my students otherwise do, they go into very interesting positions, say, in innovation, entrepreneurship. Also here, you find a lot of mathematicians who have some great idea and have the ability to... So sort of managed to realize these ideas as well. And, you know, but maybe, you know, having a great idea of a product they could produce, but really actually really managed to lead this through. So I have a lot of students who actually go into innovation in particular. Um, oh, and wow. and yeah, I don't mean just working for the big companies. I don't want to mention any of them, really setting up sort of their own sort of startups and then taking oh, wow. ideas through. So mm-hmm. yeah, obviously there are also a lot of mathematicians are uh, going to financial sectors mm-hmm. because of the financial sector or insurance sector, they need a lot of mathematicians because it's very mathematical, the modeling. So a lot of my students would also be successful in, in these routes.
0: Yeah, so I was wondering what commonalities um, or common qual- qualities do you find in all of them? Like, do they highly concentrate? Are they super creative?
1: Uh, creativity is is clearly, you know, one of the uh, you know one of the so very basic uh, skill I think of you know mathematical education something you know having this understanding combined with creativity is, is clearly something that's being very well developed if you study mathematics. Um, yep. Analytical skills, being able to visualize things, I think is, is very important. I think mathematicians, you know, they can easily, you know, solve problems in four or five dimensions without the wow. when they can visualize that. Wow. You know, because you know, it's I, I think without sort of the mathematical skills, it's probably difficult for anyone to visualize mm-hmm. anything that goes past three dimensions. But I think mm-hmm. mathematicians have the or develop the ability to sort of think in this abstract way and can sort of, you know, visualize this even higher dimensions or visualize complex systems.
0: Yeah, do you think these, um like there's complex systems and higher dimensions, do you think they could draw these diagrams specifically on the blackboard? Is it presentable or it's just really highly
1: theoretical? Well it, it of course depends what you mean by visualizing it. I mean if you put it um if you want it drawn on 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 the blackboard, um you know how do you you know you can visualize cross sections or uh you know if you use three axes, you know, how mm-hmm. do you visualize your five dimensional problem in three axes? That might not be possible. Yeah. Um but I think mathematicians, if I give you now say the problem to calculate the intersection volume of, say, a, four di- a four-dimensional cylinder cutting through a four-dimensional sphere. Um, and a mathematician will be able to calculate that. Um, wow. And in order to calculate this, the mathematician somehow has to visualize it. Um, even though you can't draw it, but you, of course you know immediately what what I mean, right? You've got the four-dimensional sphere, so you know what this sort of you know, would look like and you've got a cylinder going going through that and it gives you sort an intersection volume, which is of course four-dimensional volume. A mathematician will be able to visualize it somehow and 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 work it out using the appropriate you know integrals to to work out what that would be. Yeah um, you know, of course you can't draw it. I mean how would you draw it? You you can't mm-hmm. draw it. We, we um, just yeah. Capacity, so.
0: Yeah. So were you really interested or mathematically passionate since you were a young child? Like, when did you start um, committing to, like, I want to be an applied mathematician?
1: It's an interesting question. I wanted to do loads of things as a child, and I wanted to be a pilot and a teacher and lots of <laughs> things, I think. Um, so, and I don't know when I really committed to mathematics. Um I think even at the start of my university career, I did lots of things. I did a lot of sciences as well, particularly physics. Hence, mm-hmm. you know, I have this uh, you know interest in the foundations of quantum field theory. I think it was only at the later stage when I really sort of committed to mathematics, a so later stage, probably meaning once I entered probably a graduate degree uh, that I really knew, you know this is where, so I want to do a lot of my work. Um, mm-hmm. I think I benefited a lot from a very solid foundation, particularly in the topics I mentioned, like linear algebra and analysis. And I was lucky to do this because I I don't think as a student I realized just how important a broad and solid foundation is. And I think I just had the right advice from the right people, you know, the right yep. professors giving me the right advice. And I was lucky. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and uh, and got this a uh, very solid broad foundation that sort of allows me now to work in various areas of mathematics. And um, that probably ultimately, you know, determines that you know I you know I found my way sort of into mathematics and and and, and stayed there.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, obviously went to Harvard University, do you think? Um what math? good math programs do you think harvard or cambridge um, provides for students
1: uh, so of, of course these are very different universities and i well i love both of them i mean yeah. you know <laughs> both of them are in cambridge of course different yeah. cambridges but, different. but yeah <laughs> but um i mean they are different different programs. I mean, the, I mean, you're particularly talking about, say, the undergraduate programs. They're, of course, different programs. The, the Cambridge Mathematical Course, or we call it Mathematical Tripos, is, of course, a world-famous course. And is a very deep introduction in, in mathematics. Whereas, of course, Harvard is still running you know, liberal arts education. It can mix and match things. And mm-hmm. I think for different students, it's, you know, it depends on the student what you want to have. Um, So, you know, the the university is structurally, you know, very different, of course, in terms of research, you know, there's top research happening at, you know, either of these institutions. And, you know, once you talk about graduate degrees, um, Mm you know, you can, you you have wonderful mathematics being created at, you know, at Harvard, but at the same time at Cambridge too. And obviously research groups interact as well a lot. So, you know, obviously I know lots of people at Harvard now too, Um, but I think if you look at the undergraduate program, there is a difference and you really need to sort of make up your mind whether you prefer the liberal arts approach to you know, our approach. Our approach being we give you a very broad mathematical education first, very deep, but it is limited to you know, mathematical topics and you would not have you know, the possibility of mixing matching this with you know, a number of other things. Uh, some students love this and they are ready for this others they they want the flexibility of a liberal arts education first and then you know Mm -hmm. go into uh you know mathematics deeper at a later stage so i think it depends on your interests and whether you're ready for this or not
0: oh okay so um basically um i've heard that oxford and cambridge they both both universities they offer very good math programs do you think they're really similar as well, like Oxford and Cambridge. Do you think their programs are p- pretty similar? Yeah,
1: so, so I'm probably biased here, but uh, I think <laughs> so. So Cambridge, I think the advantage of the Cambridge program is our fourth year. Uh, our fourth year is mm-hmm. an extremely famous course. It's, it's we, we call it, so colloquially, we call it part three mathematics. Um, yeah. But it's actually a, a, an integrated master's program. And if, if you just, you know, go to the internet and, and look up part three mathematics Cambridge, you will see that this is indeed a famous course, a lot of really big mathematicians worldwide, very famous mathematicians worldwide would have taken this course. And, you know, it's a fantastic course that offers you access to perhaps, you know, a hundred different, uh, you know, very, you know, you know very deep graduate uh, courses. Um, and I don't think at any other university would you get a collection of you know, such a, a breadth of mathematical areas at that level in a one-year mm-hmm. master's program. Um, and that's the advantage of Cambridge. We have our part three. They also, of course, have, a, have an integrated master's program there, but um, it's not quite the same as our part three. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, if, if you want to get into mathematical research, then certainly our, you know, fourth year of the undergraduate program, this part three, you know, is yep. the ideal preparation for it. And for, for, for mm-hmm. this fourth year, we, of course, have not only our, our own students doing this fourth year as part of their undergraduate degree, we have a lot of students coming to Cambridge from outside Cambridge. So from mm-hmm. the big universities worldwide. And they join wow. us. So we have actually more students joining us for so part three from outside Cambridge than our own students carrying on. Um, so I think here we are indeed different with uh, uh, the two Oxford, uh, because we have this really stellar fourth year course. Um, but uh, if you just look look at a course, just take an algebra course, say at, at Cambridge mm. or at Harvard or any other university. Beginners uh-huh. go in algebra. Of course, the theorems, the proofs are all the same. I mean, you know, they're hundreds of years old. So yeah. Our theory, our theories we teach in, in the beginner schools in algebra not, not different to the ones you, you would study at, at, uh, at Harvard say, but the approach is very different what we do because uh, so the approach to teaching and learning is very different. So we teach, um, obviously we have the big lectures like at other, mm-hmm. universities, too, but we teach in group size two then. Oh. Um, so, you know, if, if you're one of our students and you and your supervision partner, I would meet the professor in probably the professor's room uh, for a whole hour. And that's when we can really focus on your ideas and your understanding. And here, you know, we are really different to other universities. And it's not just the small group size that is different. It's that these sessions, they're not assessments. So we don't have continuous assessments. So you can go into this session with your, you know, supervision partner and your professor free from assessment pressure. You can really, you know, basically freely sort of discuss your ideas without having the, the concern that if you say something wrong you would not get the marks so because you're not being mm-hmm. um, there's no assessment and it's really a conversation between you and your professor um, yeah. it's very small setup so that that's you know a big difference between you know so, so as I said it's, it's not necessarily the course content that Uh, differs it's really the approach to teaching and learning that differs to other places
0: so tons of discussions with professors and it's um i guess um you have a lot of one-on-one personal discussions with your students which is i would say the most fun part of math i would say that's
1: right yeah
0: yeah for sure um just another um last question we have here um do you think that high school students right now because they have you know, high school mathematics is like pretty basic. Um, Do you think they should go into mathematical research with professors at universities and do some research and do some work? Do you think they should do that at this stage or they should, do do you think students should right now just accumulate their knowledge by reading a lot of math books?
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, working on a research project really only makes sense when you're ready for it. So, Sometimes I'm, I'm not sure, I mean, if, if people are ready for it. I mean, you know, right. re- research, of course, means that, you know, you're not just being given the answers, you know, you put your own ideas into it and you try to work it out and you need to be ready for this. Um, so uh, research projects for high school students here, it's actually quite uncommon. I know it is common in the United States and perhaps also in Canada, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but it's it's less common here, and I I think it's it's probably because you know we we, we believe that people are not yet ready to do you know any right. meaningful research at that stage. Um, but I don't know; it's not in our system that that we you know we we offer this at, at the moment, uh, you know, to high school students. Uh, obviously, our own students do research projects, uh, and already mm-hmm. after the first year but we don't really have, uh, you know, structures to offer this to high school students. Right. So I guess right. I, I don't have enough experience to, to say whether it's, it's useful or not. I think, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's a project where the student is ready for it, and I think then it's great and it gives you, but if, if the student is not ready for it, it can also discourage people from it. So right. my experience with offering say research projects for say first year students who, of course, at the end of the first year perhaps also not yet at a the level they can go into some sort of very heavy pure maths project and make progress on it. My experience is that computational program, pro- projects, for example, they you know they are easier at an earlier stage. So you know, if it's something mm-hmm. computational, something in numeric analysis, for example, you don't need such a big of grounding or foundation in order to you know make meaningful progress in understanding these structures so i guess it depends also on the type of project so more computational you know more the applied side would probably work a lot better than you know do trying to do something pure mathematics where you just need really the foundation of of understanding these structures before you can do anything meaningful
0: right totally i mean i think the best way to actually um, go through your um, mathematical endeavors is to, I would say, even having a good basic. You know, I think high school is really a bit early. Um, and I know there's a lot of high school students doing that. I think they should probably um, build up their foundations, which is really, really important. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think that is all for my questions. Thank you so much for answering them.